Okay, so happy new year, everybody. Uh, Ritis Vishnauskas, Donatos Urbanas. As always, in the Urbanas uh, podcast, we are here to talk about the highest level European basketball, uh, EuroLeague particularly. Uh, say hi to our listeners, Ritis. Hello, everybody. Sorry, I didn't have time yet to get a haircut, so you're going to have to suffer this messy hair. Your haircut should be on your New Year's resolution list. It is. Actually, it is. Yeah, but uh, unfortunately, I'm only scheduled for tomorrow, so I didn't make didn't it in time. Did you say last week that you were scheduled last uh, week? For next week, right? Ah. So next okay. week is this week, but unfortunately, I'm scheduled for a Wednesday. Well, it is what it is. I, I really don't pay too much attention to that, but uh, I'm very grateful to everybody who comments about my hair. Especially and that reminds me reminds me that barbershop actually exists and you should go there. So yeah. you make New Year's resolutions, right? Sort of. Mm. Nothing serious, really, to be honest. Um, Give us at least one interesting <sighs> point on your uh, list. I'm not re- really a big fan of New Year, New Me, uh, but I'm going to try at least for a, for a while to start waking up in the mornings a little bit earlier. Okay. To have a m- proper day because I'm a sleeper. I usually wake up really late. After 12 a.m. So yeah. um, that's why we usually start our podcast one o'clock. Yeah. Um, but this this time it's half past 11. So yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying. What's early for you? Early for me? Um, I would say 10. Okay. <laughs> okay. Come on, man. Um, <laughs> that's that's an improvement. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm working late in the evening. Yeah. I, I understand you. I'm also watching NBA games. Yeah. So. That's okay. 10 a.m. is really early. Okay. I don't have to go to office, you know, so it's kind of different for me. Okay. Yeah. I also had my New Year's resolution. I actually started uh, making it uh, from the last year because we had a lockdown. There was not much to do on the New Year's Eve. So with uh, my wife, we decided to, let's say, play New Year's resolution. And we kind of found it interesting. And for this year, one of my... And points I, I put on the paper was just to call my friends, uh, let's say beloved ones, uh, at least uh, once a week because of all these, uh, of all my working routine, of all the basketball stuff. Uh, sometimes I just got lost in time and uh, probably it's it's healthy, you know, to keep relationship and, and at least once a week to have a quality phone conversation with, with friends. So... Let's try. Let's try. Yeah, we'll do our best. Yeah. I'm gonna last for I, I would say a couple of weeks, <laughs> at most. I can see Jan Vesely also having his New Year's resolution and putting "Let's get not injured" on his paper. Uh, let's say he's out as well as Nando De Colo. That's a huge blow for Fenerbahce. Actually, uh, Vesely is out for. Probably four more weeks. Uh, the colo uh, from seven to nine weeks, uh, which is a lot. Uh, in the colo's case, it might be more than a half of the rest uh, regular season. And the main question we have, one of the main questions we have for this podcast, uh, is: Are we talking that Fenerbahce's playoff chances, playoff hopes, are dead? Don't you think that Fenerbahce was actually the club that wanted the season to be suspended for a couple of weeks? I had the same idea. <laughs> it actually. would make sense, right? For one month, it would be c- 
clever decision for them. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I mean, if you look at the calendar, you're thinking about how many games they're going to miss, uh, how many games they're going to play without uh, Dakolo and Wesley. However, in this COVID situation, you never know how many of these games will be postponed. And as funny as it sounds, in Fenerbahce's case, postponements are good. Mm-hmm. You can win some time to get your best players back on the court. But uh, honestly, if the situation is the way it is right now, I really don't see them making the playoffs. Um, and that's the consequence not only of the injuries they have right now. Of course, you're losing two of your best players. But also the standings. If they would be somewhere, let's say, fifth or fourth in the standings right now, I could be thinking they will hang on to this. They will suffer a little bit, but eventually the Colo and Vesely will go get back. They will sign maybe some new players mm-hmm. and they will live through this difficult time and will make the playoffs. But right now they're not in the playoff standings. They're 10th. So they still have some catching up to do. And I just don't really see them doing it without the Colo and uh, Vesely. Actually, in that, in that last game where... Um, they got hurt, uh, they lost to Aswell, and you can see that uh, they have a really thin roster. And death, uh, death was already a problem yeah. in Fenerbahce. Even before Veselis and yeah. Dekolo's injuries, they had problems with Devin Booker, with Danilo Bartel, uh, some other players were missing games, Mariel Sheok is really not fitting in, and um, already Sasha Djordjevic had some problems in this roster, but of course you were dependent on your best players. These are star players. They would be stars on any other team. Um, so now we're thinking they're gonna they're gonna play at least a month without Ecolo and Vesely, and in a month's time you can lose four or five games. So I'm sorry. I really respect Fenerbahce a lot, and I really respect uh, Sasha Djordjevic, but it's just bad luck. And in, in these circumstances, I don't see them making the playoffs. Uh, the Colo and Vesely they combine for 25.5 points per game which is one third of total points 6.6 assists one third uh, 2.6 steals one fourth of the team's total 8.1 rebounds one fourth of the team's uh, total and they were all the players scoring in double digits uh, per game so this is a huge blow for Fenerbahce, huge uh, lineup changer. For example, uh, which, what is interesting that Vesely had the biggest uh, plus minus, minus, and 15 most used lineups included Vesely and Decola, or at least uh, one of them. So it's going to be interesting to watch how they're going to change. And uh, my only hope, I think that all odds are against Fenerbahce. Uh, it's not... Uh, only because they're below the top eight. Uh, they have seven wins and ten uh, losses. It's not only the problem with the standings, because it's hard to see many teams dropping of, of out of uh, top eight. Maybe Unix uh, will disappoint in the second part of the season. Uh, Olympiacos, they tend to lose more games in the second part of the season, usually. Maybe maybe something uh, will, will go wrong with Zenit. It's, it's really hard to expect many teams uh, dropping out, but it has... It takes that Fenerbahce has to improve their game a lot. And it's hard to do it without their main players. And But my only hope is that we had Basconia's example last year. They didn't have injury problems like Fenerbahce are facing right now. But I have to admit that I checked uh, Basconia's roster from the last year. I tried to compare it with Fenerbahce's current roster without Vesely and Decolo. 
And I cannot say that Basconia was way better team than Fenerbahce will be uh, at the moment. Uh, they had, for example, Peria Henry, Rokas Gedraitis, Sedekerskis, Polonara, and Fall and Fall uh, on their starting lineup. So it's like you know, Henry, Goodrich, Polonara, Floyd, new f- shooting guard, for example. They're not that worse than Basconia was, but Basconia uh, last season they actually they were over fifty uh, percent of of uh, winning. They had over fifty percent of winning percentage, and uh, they made a late playoff uh, push. So I, I I can see it as an example for for Fener, but there are a lot of ifs. If Peria Henry will step up as the main guy of Fenerbahce, I believe he can do it. He was playing a little bit better than before. Uh, and of course, Marco Guduric, he also has to step up. And I believe that uh, these guys will step up because it will be more guard-oriented uh, team uh, when it was with uh, Jan Vesely, uh, probably. And a lot of depends how successful they will be with their new signing. Uh, as far as I heard, they were after Isaiah Taylor, who is one of the top scorers in the ACB uh, league. He was tremendous uh, for Murcia, but from what I understood, he rejected the, the offer. He has the Euroleague uh, buyout. Uh, I heard that also Alaric Freeman was on their list. He spent uh, quite some time in, in Aswell uh, last year. Uh, but I, I'm hearing that a lot of teams uh, after him, so it's it's not clear if he will end up in Fenerbahce, probably not. So it's obvious that they're looking for a scorer, but a lot of depends on how he will fit the, fi- uh, the team uh, during the season, if he will be quality enough, because the market is not good for trying to find a replacement for such a player like Nando De Col. These players are irreplaceable. Mm. Uh, I mean... Sometimes you can improve your team by signing a role player in the middle of the season. You can replace an injured backup center or something like that, but these are irreplaceable basketball players. It's, I mean, when you lose both Decolo and Vesely, it's almost to a degree where Barcelona would be on a market to replace Mirotic in the middle of the season, which is impossible, obviously. You cannot get the same quality. But, of course, they need to add more bodies their way. I mean, they, side, they signed Jahai Floyd before mm-hmm. Vesely's injury and they signed him mainly because of Devin Booker's uh, health problems and Ahmed Duvirioglu being out, so they needed another big. Yeah. Now they need another shooting guard, as you said. So, uh, shooting has been a problem f- for Fenerbahce all season, so another shooter would definitely be more than welcomed. Um, in my eyes, the biggest problem with Fenerbahce this season, why they are where they are right now, is that they didn't close games. They had big issues closing games, and now you lost your best closer, Nando De Colo. Mm-hmm. So now you're going to be closing games with with the ball being in Pierre Henry's hands or Marco Guduric, as you said. Um, it's hard to predict uh, what Pierre Henry will, will de- deliver right now. Obviously, when he was playing with De Colo, there was not much pressure on him to lead the team. You are the point guard, but, you, but you're not necessarily the primary ball handler, so you need to be focused on defense. You need to put a lot of energy and effort but there. And Maybe that's what he needs. Uh, if you remember in Bosconia, I don't remember any other ball handler, ball handler yeah. who, who would get all He was a dominant situation. player. Yeah, so. So, so he needs to be like this right now in Fenerbahce, but once again, then, then you're thinking uh, what... What's Sasha Djordjevic's idea with Pierre Henry? How how does he see him? Does he see him as this floor general? 
if if Djordjevic does not trust Pierre Henry to be the leader, then you might have some problems. So far this season, he's been shooting the ball really well from three-point distance, which is good, of course. Mm-hmm. He improved it, his it's numbers. It's positive, right? So if he can stay consistent with shooting, because he's going to have to take a lot more shots right now, a lot more responsibilities, maybe they can survive. Um, let's look at the calendar, actually, mm-hmm. what teams they are facing right now, and let's calculate an, a little bit. Yeah, for example, uh, Vesely out for f- five weeks uh, means that he, he will probably miss uh, eight games, yeah. and if they call out for, for more time, it means that it will be something between 11 and 13 yeah. games. And obviously, you still need some time to get back in shape mm-hmm. when of you course. come back after an injury, and it's a pretty serious injury. Um Vesely, he dealt with s- similar issues actually every season, every, every, almost every season. To be fair. Last year, he got hurt during the playoffs or before the playoffs, which was also a problem. But he made the playoffs barely, but he made it. Once he didn't um, make the final four, if I remember well, he always had some yeah. injuries, and I think that it will be uh, taken in a consideration before his contract extension. Mm. I mean, I mean, it can Maybe. be a deal breaker actually for Fenerbahce. He's such a good player. I mean, I would love to have him on my team. But he's always despite all the out. risks, despite all the risks, mm-hmm. I would love to have him on my team. Right. So the calendar. Um, they play Zvezda. Maybe it's 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 not as bad as it looks like. Yeah, Zvezda away. Then they have Olympiacos. Then they have two games where they must win without the Colo, without Wesley. It doesn't matter. They mm-hmm. must win at home against Alba Berlin and against Jalgiris. They already have the game against Real Madrid postponed which is planned to be played on February. Yeah, so Vesely might be back. By the way, even Olympiakos game, they will be it will be post-COVID Olympiakos. Right. So that might turn in Fenerbahce's favor. So there might be some chances. Um I see they will be playing Maccabi as well away from home and they will be playing Aswell at home and Armani away. You can imagine that these games will be still without Nando and and Jan. Mm-hmm. Um if they can get at least three victories from these, maybe they'll have a chance to make a big run, big push. But actually, However, to make the playoffs, they have to get at least four or five victories. Probably, because, you know, later on, even with Decolo and, and Vesely back, they will be facing Barcelona, they will be facing Cesca, they will be facing Anadolu FS. Uh, they are actually facing um, these elite teams in the last part of the regular season. In this, in, in spring, in March, it's hard. Actually, if you ask me, I, I would say they they're not making the playoffs this year. Um, I was really a big believer in them, even though they were losing games uh, during this first part of the season. Because uh, usually Fenerbahce improved their game. Yeah, and uh, and, the uh, and I really trust uh, Alexander Djordjevic. His basketball IQ is phenomenal, and really, I would say he's an underrated coach because he. Didn't coach in Euroleague a lot. He was coaching the Serbia national team for a long time. I, I was actually surprised how much hate he gets uh, from fans all around the Europe. It's hard for me to explain it because I didn't have well, a lot of uh, work to do. Of course, he has this reputation of being a little bit conflicting person. Uh, if, if you remember mm. what happened in Bayern, in Bologna. But uh, when you when you listen to him talk basketball... You can hear that he has a big mouth. Yeah, he is. I mean, he considers himself highly. First of all, mm. um, his basketball knowledge is really remarkable. 
And maybe there's some arrogance. Maybe that's not good for some players, and maybe fans don't really like Show that. Show me a great player who doesn't have any ego or arrogance. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but but you 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 were talking to Sasha, and mm. um, you heard what he said about Nando De Colo mm-hmm. because Nando was struggling a little bit after the Olympics in the yeah. beginning of the season, and Sasha just said that Nando is a phenomenal player. I trust him so much, and he's gonna decide games for us. So that's true. But could he say the same about Pierre Henry? Because now Pierre Henry has to be the guy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we we can see that Fenerbahce would love to have season uh, paused uh, at least for a month. But if you were a uh, Euroleague CEO of the Euroleague, what you would you do? You would try to shorten the uh, period of isolation. You, you would try to pause the season for, for a few weeks, at, as it was suggested by one uh, team during the team's meeting, or you would try to do some other things. I don't think that suspending the season for two weeks or even a month solves the problems. Um, we're living with COVID, right? We're learning how to live with it. Uh, I'm thinking that we kind of got used to living with it, but the sports world is really unpredictable and uh, these postponements are happening more than last season, actually. Last season, first of all, this shows how EuroLeague is not prepared for these scenarios. Like last season, when some teams were hit by COVID, they started giving these (laughs) technical losses. It's actually an incredible improvement compared to the previous season. So, So Zenit, could not play games because they had players out. Bam. They lost 0-20. Yeah. And suddenly they flipped then, it. Then uh, there was a scandal. There was a big scandal. Yeah. People saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. How is this our fault? I mean, you can, you can get a technical loss when you don't show up in games or something happens that mm-hmm. you purpose. were supposed to handle. This is COVID, right? No one's protected from it. So then EuroLeague said... Yeah, right, you know, we're going to just postpone these games. So last season was horrible how they handled it. Um, This year, mm, first of all, I was waiting for their reaction. I was waiting what they're going to do. When it all started, first of all, you thought, like, it's just just one game, it's just two games, but now you're seeing that it's three or four, five, six... Uh, so suspending the season, in my uh, my opinion, is is not an option because um, uh, who can tell you that when you get back on court again playing, uh, exactly. same thing will not happen. Exactly. So uh, shortening the period of isolation uh, might be a good idea because if some players are asymptomatic and as long as they get some negative tests, they should be able to get back on court uh, quicker, just like it's happening in the NBA right now. Um, however, the issue here is that uh, EuroLeague is uh, consisting of clubs from how many different countries? Probably around 10. Right. So in almost every country, um, the situation is really different and the government is acting differently. For example, in Lithuania, Žalgiris is actually playing in almost sold-out arena and they're carry on playing their games in the national championship everything seems to be going in a normal we flow had concerts during yeah. the christmas break yeah the arenas uh, full like with f- 15000 people but then you then you have some countries that are actually close to another uh, huge lockdown and you never know uh, what's going to happen euroleague's rules cannot really contradict to the rules of the government local 
government, right? Uh, last year we were in a situation almost where Maccabi couldn't travel abroad, mm-hmm. right? There was an exception made eventually, and they managed to play games, but there were really some red flags that guests from other countries cannot go in and play with Maccabi in Tel Aviv. Uh, so there were a lot of questions raised. And something like this could happen this season, in the middle of the season. And it's really difficult difficult to find the correct answer, but in my opinion, uh, suspending the season is, is, is not going to work. So yeah. shortening the period of isolation is a step. It sounds great. It sounds uh, logical. That was the main proposal uh, in in yearly but board it, meeting but yesterday. But is it doable for everybody? Because That's in some thing. countries that you have the, the isolation for like 14 days, in some countries like for 10. Russia and Lithuania have the isolation restrictions uh, for 10 days. Yeah. Turkey, 10 days. And uh, unfortunately, I cannot say that I can trust EuroLeague uh, to make some to get exceptions in all these countries so yeah. quickly. Uh, because if it was only up to the EuroLeague, okay, we just shortened the quarantine from 14 to 10 or 7 days, uh, s- 7 in, in the best scenario, and we are playing, and we are not afraid of all these postponements or, or COVID cases, beca- because now many teams suffering, I mean, huge uh, outbreaks of COVID, so we can expect way less uh, cases in the second part of the season, But I tried to talk with uh, some, let's say, general managers of, of a few different countries, and they were like, how are you going to convince uh, Russian government uh, to accept these rules if they are on a way stricter uh, quarantine uh, rules? Even now, in the beginning of, of the season, they were facing some struggles. For for example, in, in, in Germany, they accepted only... Uh, vaccines w- which were accepted by the European Union and a lot of Russian team players uh, were vaccinated by with Sputnik so they had to make another exceptions because some hotels couldn't uh, accommodate yeah. some of the players there are a lot of uh, things and uh, if you if it's it's really hard it's really hard because I was told like if okay if there is a player who, who got COVID seven days ago how it's possible for him to board the plane in Turkey, for example, and to land in Russia. You can imagine how many challenges they might face. And these decisions uh, might take weeks, and it probably it means that the regular season going to be over. So if you remember the real interaction, the good thing is that they had a board meeting. They are discussing some potential ways out of the situation. But I, I'm just skeptical how they're going to convince all the all these governments. Un- unless clubs will be involved, CSKA, I, I believe they have a huge reputation. Because uh, another good thought I, I, I've heard was that who is basketball in Europe? In, in, in the United States, NBA made some steps being almost even ahead of the country. Yeah. But NBA is a big thing in, in the United States. Basketball in Europe, EuroLeague in, in Europe... Unfortunately, it's not so important. Football in Europe, in Europe during the pandemic, the Champions League had to make a... How they're dealing with COVID? Well, right now, they're not playing. Mm. Champions League is... But let's say local uh, championships. Uh, local championships. Were, well, in England, there are a lot of postponed games. In Spain, they had a short break. They're just getting back right now. It's the same in Italy, the same in France and Germany. They have a short break during this festive period uh, between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, I mean, they're playing. They have bigger squads. Even some, if some players test positive, 
you play with what you have and you add some youngsters from the under 23s or under 19s and i mean it, it is what it is so really it, it's a hard to compare football to basketball because in basketball you have some clubs that they have 12 players on the roster and they don't really have any reserves don't have any youngsters or anything so it's different um, however, my example, what I wanted to say was from previous year, from the year, I would say 2020, um, you remember when the world of sports stopped everything, mm -hmm. nobody was playing, there were no leagues, no championships, nothing. When football got back, European football, I mean, uh, the Champions League, league they, they were playing behind closed doors in a bubble in Portugal. So they played a knockout tournament in a bubble. NBA got back also in a bubble in Orlando. EuroLeague didn't come back that season. They didn't finish the season. Do you think that European basketball bubble is something to put into consideration? I mean, I know there are a lot of regular season games left. So it kind of makes it difficult. It could be doable for the playoffs. But what do you think in general about the idea? If there's no way out... Do we do do we form a bubble and these eighteen clubs just go and play there? Uh, I'm not a fan of this idea for the regular season uh, yeah. because, as I said, mainly for the playoffs. As I said, yeah. for regular season, I don't think it's really it doesn't possible. Doesn't make sense. And you also and have to play national championships. And especially, we're learning way more about uh, the COVID, and we see the examples in the NBA and them considering playing even through the. Co uh, through COVID, uh, if you feel asymptomatic or you and as, uh, of course you are vaccinated, they might play through COVID. I cannot imagine how it will uh, get get go uh, get going with the United States uh, regulations and, and stuff. But at least there is an idea of living with COVID and uh, trying to live in a normal uh, conditions. For the playoffs, I would imagine the scenario because we can see teams traveling and uh, it would be very unfair to, um, to watch uh, teams like Fenerbahce suffering, for example, for, uh, for the playoff uh, stage, losing many players before the most important games of the season. And my, my For the Final Four, uh, I would hate to see empty stands again for the Final Four. Where, where is the Final Four this year? Germany again, Berlin. And Germans, they are strict <laughs> no. with COVID regulations, actually. Um, I don't really okay, see it. Okay, it's too early to talk about what will happen in May. Uh, but we can see that there might be some problems. Well, there might be, I mean... But at least we have vaccines. It might not be behind closed doors, but I cannot imagine that it will be without any limitations. Mm. Um, in May, yeah, there's still a lot of time. So the bubble is out of the question, right? Because of um, unless for for the playoffs, unless for the playoffs. But I have a feeling that uh, we will be much better uh, in May and April than we were uh, previous year. Should be, and this version of code, I hope that it's kind of in the final stage of of that virus fighting. Everyone's hoping lives. for that. Yeah, but at the same time, well, we saw and we talked about the Real Madrid game against Eska where they had to call up some 17-year-olds and they had to play with them. And Real Madrid is just one of the few clubs that have the ability to do that, have the luxury to do that because they have a proper academy and really good young players that can play actually at the age of 17. There are many clubs that don't really have any youth That's system. That's a big problem because I believe in Real's way we could avoid postponements because 
postponing games looks okay right now, but but for example, in Jalgiris case, uh, they will have uh, they were scheduled to had three double game weeks uh, for the second part of the season. Now they will have six, and uh, it will be pretty much the same for most of the teams. And double game weeks are okay when you have it like once a month. But if it will be like a frequent thing in the Euroleague, it's just too heavy for a basketball fan. It's too heavy for us, uh, for for commentators, so for sure, journalists. Man. I'm not so sure, man. I mean, basketball. I, is I think it's bad for the Euroleague product because you also have to. You have uh, you have a Champions League football, a lot of other yeah, events. I, too many games. I accept. In one week. I accept these arguments that even for the television, um, it's it's not very good when. Euroleague clashes with the Champions League, for example, you're always trying to avoid that. You're always trying to plan your double game weeks on Tuesdays and Wednesdays when there's no Champions League football. However, um, I don't think it's such a big deal for for, for teams to play double game weeks more often. Because basketball it is would a, been in a normal but scenario but without basketball domestic championships. Basketball is a sport where you can play back-to-back. NBA teams travel... A lot, and they play back-to-back games. But they have charters. They have great conditions for recovery. They do. I agree with that. Probably half of the but we're not even talking about back-to-back. You're gonna have to play, let's say, two games in 48 hours. Mm. In football, it's impossible. Football is a different sport where you need at least 48 hours to recover after the game. So you cannot actually play in two days' time. In basketball, like I said, back-to-backs are manageable. And now we're talking about two games in 48 hours. And the traveling in Europe, it's not as difficult as it sounds. I mean, most of these countries are not that far away from each other. I don't think it's such a big deal, really, to be honest. I mean... I think it's not, but I think that most of the teams, they are not ready for that kind of schedule because most of these teams will have uh, way more double game weeks. They also have domestic championships during the weekend and they are not adjusted yet to this kind of uh, so schedule. Again, we can, hit not the, ready. we can hit the question about the youngsters, about the academies. Exactly. Like rich clubs like Armani or Ceska, when was the last time they had someone coming up from the youth system? Mm-hmm. Or at least... Do they even have a youth system in Milan, for example? Um, so you could use these players to have a deeper squad to manage the situation, to play the National League games at least with younger guys protecting your veterans. But there are just not too many clubs that can afford to do that. Real Madrid and Barcelona are probably the only ones, which is kind of sad. Um, in the NBA, what, what are they doing? 10-day contracts, right? You can call up a player, uh, like we had this situation uh, when Miami Heat were playing San Antonio Spurs in San Antonio, Texas, and Miami Heat were shorthanded. They needed another guy on the roster so that they could play the game. So they just called up a random guy who mm-hmm. was within a driving distance from San Antonio. Some guy, I, I don't remember his name, he played in Ulm mm-hmm. last season in Germany. So he just drove there and played the game. 10-day contracts. It's it's not possible in Europe, of course, 10-day contracts. Where do, where do these players come from? Mm-hmm. This is why NBA has the G League. I mean, the American basketball system is completely different, professional basketball. It's perfect. However, the G League is actually like the youth academy, but not for one club, uh-huh. but for the whole league. 
it's a talent pool where you can call up players for 10 days. You can call up players on unguaranteed contracts, on two-way contracts. You can move them and you can always give a chance to somebody. In Europe, you sign your squad, you plan your season, you play your season. That's it. And it's kind of kind of sad. I mean, we were talking about these things. I understand that for these smaller budget teams, it costs a lot to have a youth system and to grow players because the reward is nothing because mm. you you get a buyout from an NBA club. What's that? That Even money doesn't it, it, change it's anything. It's the case for the rich clubs uh, as well. I talked with some GMs of the rich clubs and they said that it's, it's not profitable. Yeah, it's not profitable. I get it, but... Real Madrid and Barcelona are setting an example. Basconia, actually, we have and to Basconia. Basconia because yeah. even even probably facing uh, uh, potential postponements, they have uh, eighteen players. So we're just talking about Spanish clubs. Yeah, they set an example because the, for uh, the rest of Europe. As far as I know, the Spanish league rules uh, they have to register some homegrown players, which means, like for example, Tada Sedekerskis, he's been with Basconia since 15 mm. years old, so he's, he's already considered as a homegrown. So he fi fills the spot because Basconia do not have many Spanish players, but they have homegrown players that they actually uh, took them as teenagers to their club. So this is an example. I mean, I get it that it's not profitable for you to grow youngsters, but it makes you prepared for scenarios like COVID. It makes you a lot more, it gives you a lot more options to rotate, to play your roster in different ways because you're playing EuroLeague and Spanish National Championship as well. So the Spanish clubs are dealing with this a lot better than the rest of the Europe. Yeah, I would love to see something like a youth EuroLeague, but not like we have uh, free in-season tournaments and then the final tournament during the final four, but like regularly, regular season of Youth EuroLeague, the problem is that most of the teams wouldn't have enough money to afford another team traveling all around Europe. But that, that would be a good, good pool so uh, for all these teams. As you said, basketball is not so big in Europe. And this is another example. Yeah, we have to deal with some drawbacks uh, of the current so system. Yeah, I if we would have a working... Uh, system model how clubs are compensated for the youngsters mm. that came through their ranks and they went somewhere else they signed big contracts they went to the nba uh, there will be some motivation to actually invest money and try to have young players and to have a actually profitable business model because right now what happens if you have some elite talents Amazing young players, when they grow up, turn, let's say, 19, 20, you start playing them in your first team when they're 18. If they're actually good in the EuroLeague, obviously they're getting drafted. They're going to go to the NBA. You're going to get how much? 200, 300K, half a million. But that's just one time. That's, that's one single payment, and that's it. After that, the player is signing huge lucrative deals in the NBA, and there's no reward for you as the club that actually It would be amazing him. for a homegrown club to get 5% of the upcoming uh, NBA deals that player yeah, will have. Yeah. And instead of 
agent getting a big amount of that percentage, homegrown teams should get some some yeah. reward. And I remember I was raising the question of increasing the buyout, standard buyout, uh, which uh, European NBA teams have. At the moment, it's something for the next summer, it should be something $775,000. It's, it's uh, getting bigger every year uh, by very small small margins. And I was raising the question that it should be way bigger uh, in order for teams to be to get a let's say a solid reward, but then I talked with some NBA people and they told us, I mean, how many European players actually get drafted or get into the NBA uh, at a young age? And they said that we would instead choose NCAA players. We have a lot of NCAA uh, players, and you don't don't have to pay any buyout. They're playing a lot. Uh, they're playing in a system which is which uh, prepares them better than the European basketball system. So that's a huge conflict uh, between two systems. And of course, uh, unfortunately, it's not in Europeans' favor. The European basketball market doesn't really have a system. It's just wild, wild west. I mean, um, the EuroLeague, let's face it, it's a budget league where there you have rich clubs and you have poor clubs and you have middle-class clubs, right? And when you see these, like, Cinderella stories, when Jalgiris makes the Final Four, you're kind of excited because it's an underdog story. But then you're thinking, you're always thinking, right, so... Pangos is going to go there after the season. Mitzich is going to go there. Davis is going to go there. These guys are going to go somewhere Even else. Even if they are under contract. Yeah, and that club, in this example, it's Jalgiris, doesn't get anything from all of this. Uh, uh, only just the satisfaction that they had a wonderful season and an amazing story. Uh, there is no way for a European basketball glo- uh, club to grow financially, making profits... in a natural way, let's say. Being successful on the court, so making money because you're winning games and also making money of good transfers when you're selling players. Real Madrid has a good buyout model, but uh, they lose 30 million a year because of our expenses. Yeah, but Real Madrid is one of the rich clubs. Even if they don't have a successful buyout model, they are still Mm. one of the elite clubs in Europe because it's a huge club. So... This kind of makes the European basketball boring in a way. Sad, because because it's just always the rich club signing the best players from these poor clubs that actually had a good season. This is why you always have players signing one plus one or something like mm. that. Who commits to a five-year deal in Europe? Only Real Madrid or and Barcelona. And as, as well. It's an exception of the rule, but... I remember like... 15, 20 years ago, it was some teams were signing young players to seven-year deals. Five-year deals. Crazy times. Yeah, so just as I said... And they were putting crazy buyout clauses, actually. I had this discussion with with, um, a a couple of my friends, I would say, about the NBA regular season and the EuroLeague regular season. And I always agree with that... uh, with that notion that the a single Euroleague game in a regular season, of course, is more interesting than a single NBA game out of the context mm-hmm. because the Euroleague game means more because the Euroleague regular season is very competitive. It's very challenging. Every game feels like the playoffs, actually. And it's good. But why is NBA more interesting as a league, not as a single game you watch on television? 
it's so interesting to see the GMs, mm -hmm. how they're planning for five years ahead, uh, how they're rebuilding a team, how they're making moves in the market. Um, the small market teams like Milwaukee or Toronto with great basketball minds like Masai Ujiri making genius moves and building a championship team, this is what makes NBA exciting. You can skip these 82 regular season yeah. games, but concentrate on... And on, on how professionals are building a basketball team, a dynasty, and trying to win championships by these great moves, trades, signings, and, and drafts. And in Europe, it's nothing. In the summer, a rich club will sign players, will have a roster, and you will have at least three out of four clubs in the Final Four almost the same every single year, every single year, year after year. And it's a budget league. Yeah, and in NBA, if you're bad right now, with a good strategy, you turn things around very quickly in three, five years. With a good strategy, with good, with good people in the yeah. front office. In Europe, for example, we have Panathinaikos, 17th uh, seed. They will be good only if, I don't know, Dimitris Ginokopoulos will return with a big mm. uh, bag of money and they will be rich again and they will be in the playoffs and everybody will be happy. But it's based only on, you know, all these rich guys. Somebody has to open a wallet yeah. for you to be a winning team in, in, in Europe. And in, a, in the NBA, you have small market teams, big market teams. You always know that the superstar free agents, they're going to go for LA, they're going to go for NY, they're going to go somewhere big, right? But there is a chance, there is a system that allows you to have a winning team in Memphis, in Minnesota, in Milwaukee, in, in Toronto, everywhere. It's possible. It's hard work. It's easier if you're in LA, but it's possible as we're seeing we, we, right now the current champions, Milwaukee Bucks from Wisconsin. Who wants to go to Wisconsin? <laughs> or Memphis. But they have their franchise player and Giannis Antetokounmpo and their their NBA champions. Yeah, so we will never have that in, in Europe, unfortunately. Uh, that's that's yeah, my like prediction for like them at least 10 upcoming like years. Vasa Mitic, you know, uh, maybe better example would be Kevin Pangos. Vasa Mitic and Shalgiris actually was not a superstar. Kevin Pangos, let's say, he had these great seasons in Shalgiris and then he's announcing, like, I'm extending five-year contract with Shalgiris. I love it here. It's impossible. <laughs> he went to Barcelona. Luke Sigma maybe is the only strange example of, in my opinion, an elite power forward. Sticking with Alba Berlin. There's something special in Berlin, I think, with, which keeps yeah, maybe, Sigma in, out there. But then again, you have guys like Gedraitis, Grigonis, who are also flourishing in, in Berlin, but they moved on. They signed better deals. Okay, let's go with our predictions for uh, 2022. And in this case, uh, we will give, we will share five or six of our predictions, and particularly with the Euroleague basketball, because yeah. we could predict a lot of different things, but we try to focus on uh, to be focused on the Euroleague. So, give me your first prediction for 2022. Right, my first one is is, is kind of safe, because uh, I believe you will agree with me. Um, I'm going to say that the EuroLeague champions, the current EuroLeague champions, Anadolu Efes, will not be in the Final Four to defend their crown. Okay. Um, they will make the playoffs, e even though right now even making the playoffs doesn't sound so convincing. They had their last game in Kazan where they actually lost Vasa Mitsic. They were playing without Vasa and without Kunoslav Simon, and you could see that when there's only Shane Larkin, there's not that much power for them to win games against teams like Kazan. Uh, so 
I just see some players getting old. Um, a rebuild is really needed. Ataman um, is getting crazy. Ataman is getting crazy, and you can actually see how difficult it is for a newcomer to get into this squad and and mm. and to show himself. Like Elijah Bryan, when he first signed with Andorra FS, you thought it's a good signing. He's a really good player. Actually, I could see him being one of the leaders on many uh, mm. ma- many Euroleague teams. In Andorra FS, when everybody's playing, Passa, Kruno, Larkin, Elijah Bryan is. He looks like a misfit, actually, even though he's a great basketball player. So in my eyes, after this season, they have to do the rebuild with Ataman or without Ataman. I don't know, but they have to rebuild the squad. They have to sign new new players in center position. Some guys are just getting old and they are veterans and they're not as good as they have been in the previous years. And um, I was always thinking when they started the season slow mm. that... Soon they're gonna get, they're gonna start winning games. Soon they're gonna get better. Now let's say they ha- they have nine wins, nine losses, but in some games they just won because of individual quality, like against Cervantes Vesda. Vesda was the better team. Mm-hmm. They should have won the game. Kalinic didn't make his free throws in the end. Mitic did. Anadolu has got the victory, but it's already New Year. It's already January, and I don't see. Too many improvements, actually. I don't see that feeling that they will be that better to win the Euroleague. Yeah. It seems like they're not hungry enough. They're not happy as they were before together. And as I said, uh, if Ataman is getting crazy, it's it's not good for the team. Yeah, like training on Christmas. Yeah, for example. So, I, I mean, I like your prediction. Um, although I can see them making the Final Four because at the moment... Uh, I think that in the end, I see only two teams way better than FS. It's Barcelona and Real Madrid. Other three, other teams, they are struggling as well, and a lot of depends on if FS will get a home court advantage. Uh, it's not that; it doesn't seem that it be it will be that difficult. Okay, they're four wins away of uh, Olympiacos. Mm, I'm not so sure about five the home wins court away advantage, from to be uh, three wins away from Zenit. So, I don't know. I'm not so sure about the home court advantage. And actually, if they would face Olympiacos and the Greeks will have the home court, uh, I would go for Olympiacos right mm-hmm. now. You you see players also getting injured more often than last year in Anadolu Efes. Yeah, they, when it also w- goes uh, along with their age. Yeah. So... I think that's a good I, prediction. I, I think right now, if 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 they would face in the playoffs Barca, Real Madrid, Olympiacos, I would go for these three, and even if Anadolu Efes would go against Unix Kazan and Milan, and even Cska, they could face Cska. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't bet on Anadolu Efes. The only way, uh, the only team I would see them beating right now from the top eight in in a series. I would say Zenit. So, probably you're just, right. Just my prediction. And Milan, you never know what kind of Milan. Yeah, you, you never get know. The of they also have some problems with injuries. Uh, but um, yeah, my prediction for this year is that Anadolu Efes will not be there in in the final four. That's pretty bold prediction. Also, have a pretty bold prediction. I think that Cska will win the Euroleague. Uh, I was a fan of Cska uh, before the season, and I have a feeling that. 
uh, they will get it done. Now they are seventh, uh, but they are only two wins away from the third seed. Uh, so there are plenty of games to gain home court advantage for the playoffs. Uh, they had their full roster only uh, since December 10th. Uh, a lot of time to get a momentum. We question if Shengelias and Milutinov, uh, for, um, if Shengelia next to Milutinov is a good fit. Uh, but they were se- 16 and 7 uh, last year, uh, and they were in the second place before Milutinov get injured. Uh, the final four, I think that they will make fi- the final four for sure, and it's on the tournament of two games. The experience is there. They have a great coach. I believe the chemistry will be there as well, and if they will find a good point guard which fits the rest of the group well, they they will be a co- complete team. So, I I like Barcelona. I like Real Madrid more at the moment, but that's just my uh, brave prediction that says Sky will will win it all. I'm sticking with my prediction, preseason prediction that Real Madrid will win the EuroLeague. I'm I'm gonna stick with that because when everyone's healthy and they had a full roster, in my eyes, Real Madrid is the deepest team in Europe. And mm. in terms of experience, who can match them with Pablo Lasso and these guys? So, in a final four, if it's Real, if Real Madrid is there, I, I will go with with Madrid. Um, yeah, but your prediction is fair. I mean, it makes sense. I get it. Uh, I actually talked a lot before the season with my colleagues, other colleagues from mm-hmm. Basket News, and at least a few of them were saying that this guy is going to win it, win it all mm-hmm. this year. So yeah, it, it makes sense. Um, another one I have is actually about Monaco. Okay. I watched their last game of of twenty twenty one, which was against Maccabi. Um, it was not a very solid game in terms of quality for both teams, really, especially on defense, but you could have expected that. However, I saw Mike James playing really smart basketball, feeding Donatos Motiunas and all the others, being the true floor general. I believe now um, for for Sasha Bradovic, Mike James is averaging like 11 assists per game. Uh-huh. Mm, so my prediction is that Monaco will be the team that's going to make a run in 2022 they will not make the playoffs let's make it clear but as you mentioned last year's example about Basconia mm-hmm. I'm thinking Monaco is going to do something like this because yeah there's all these characters and egos and everything but so far it seems that Sasha Obradovich is handling Mike James very well and when Mike James is playing at this level he makes other players better on the court they're not going to be a defensive team but they sure as hell have the instruments to win on offense. And um, I can see them. I mean, right now they are 7 to 11. So um, they. Which, which actually already makes, uh, takes them into the playoff race because so they're just two wins away from the playoff uh, eight seed. I think they're not going to be like on a 50% winning percentage, but they're going to be close. So I would say Monaco is a team to watch in 2022 and they could still make a run and I believe in them for some strange reasons in my head. Yeah, it's pretty strange uh, prediction. I can see uh, that happening. Uh, I can, of course, I can see Monaco making a late uh, playoff push, uh, push, but the only concern, one of the concerns is how consistent Mike will be for the rest yeah, part of yeah, the season. Yeah. So That's I'm, I'm, always a question. I'm gambling a lot here on Mike yeah. James being But it's being Monaco, they're all consistent. about gambling, so... <laughs> so. <laughs> That's a nice one. Uh, but I'm... Uh, let's just make it clear, I'm not talking about them making the playoffs, I'm mm-hmm. talking about, let's say, top 10. 
I, I could see them being in in the top 10 or close to top 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who would, do you think that will drop out from the top eight? As well, uh, for, uh, as top well, eight? Yeah. Top eight? Because we no were one. talking about Fenerbahce, about Monaco and their playoff push, but... No one. Right now, I've lost be- uh, any belief that I had in Maccabi. Oh. <laughs> okay. I- I'm sorry to all the Maccabi fans. Um, and Fenerbahce, without their star players, uh, well, I said that I don't see them making the playoffs. So I, I think that no one's going to go down from the top eight right now, the way it is. Um, Zenit signed a new point guard, and Shabazz Napier at some point will come back, and they're still winning games with what they have. Unix, I don't think it was just a short run. They're good. Let's face it, they're good. They're really good. They're probably one of the best the top three yeah. uh, team in the EuroLeague at the moment. Let's, but and then, I, I have some strange bad feeling about them. I just don't see a lot of potential in their game. Yeah. Our teams will improve. We cannot uh, exclude COVID scenario. I just have a bad feeling. Although I would be very sad if they won't make the playoffs. Unix? Yeah. Nothing. And Zenit actually, you know, they're, they're doing really good. Uh, especially without playing uh, playing without the point guard, Shabazz will return. But the question is when he will return because Xavi was already. But as I said, they signed this new player. But oh. Tyson Carter, I'm not so sure if he's already the Euroleague player because uh, Olympiacos they were also targeting him for the next season. He's coming from Lavrio, and it's tough to say if he's ready enough uh, to lead his team. So and they were already very lucky with having 12 victories, actually, in the first 18 rounds. So I see them as a potential dropouts of the top eight, unfortunately. But anyway, Mm, I mean, um, there's not a lot of room left for any other team outside the top eight, so that will be difficult. When you mentioned uh, Tyson Carter, or Tyson Carter, Tyson Tyson Carter, Carter, right? Uh, And and you're not sure, um, coming from Lavrio, how's he going to be in the EuroLeague? I, I would say, like, seven or eight years ago somebody was not so sure whether a guy coming from Colossus will be good enough for EuroLeague in the middle of the season that guy was Mike James mm. so let's see let's just wait yeah, and see of course we have if Xavi wanted him you can no, I you can imagine that Chavi. you can imagine that he's a, he's a good basketball player um, so yeah, yeah I, I, I don't think that peop- that the teams are going to drop out of that well let's go like team through team, uh, first three: Barca, Real Madrid, Olympiacos. This is final four material. Mm-hmm. You have Cesca now at seventh. This is also final four material. Mm-hmm. Milan, with all this experience and talent, I cannot imagine them not being in the top eight. And Adol FS, one way or another, they should be in the top eight. So you're only left with these questions about Zenit and Unix. And a lot of takes, if you talk about Unix, a lot of takes luck factor. Yeah, which you cannot rely on. And then you're gonna. You're gonna look at the second part of the table, the standings, and thinking who's gonna go for their spots. I don't see a lot of quality. Is it, actually, is it Bayern? Is I it like Bayern. Zvezda. No, Zvezda. They have no chance. Although they will be in the playoff race, let's say, but uh, I don't see them in Maccabi Fener as well. Let's agree on this one that as well is not gonna be number nine. I think uh, Bayern can be. Way better okay. in the second part of the season. They struggled a lot in the beginning because of uh, reasonable reasons. Yeah. 
And uh, as you mentioned, maybe Monaco will turn into some kind of Cinderella. Basconia with Wade Baldwin playing right like he plays right now. They're they trashed Barcelona. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah, we got a little bit off topic. I was talking about Monaco and my prediction. So, what what what's your other uh, prediction for for this year? Uh, I had a bit different predictions. Uh, this one is more. Uh, about uh, off the court uh, stuff, and it is. Uh, I just think that um, Jordi Bartomeu is not going anywhere. I think that he will stay in the Euroleague. And sorry, man, <laughs> I just imagined that scene from uh, the King, uh, the King of Wall Street. Is it the movie? Uh-huh. Okay, <laughs> the Wolf of Wall Street. Yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. I'm not leaving. Mm-hmm. He was about to announce that he's leaving, but he's not leaving. <laughs> I'm not leaving. <laughs> <laughs> At least for one more year, he will be doing this, because currently there are rumors about uh, Spanish teams uh, threatening leaving the Euroleague yeah. if Jordi is out, uh, and you know he he might stay if not in CAO position, but he will. Continue in some important role, and I just he- hear all these rumors from very different uh, corners of our basketball community, starting from the FIBA Champions League, in the Euroleague, other teams close to the tournament. Because it just, it just already he created the Euroleague. Uh, it's not going to be easy. He's a lawyer. He's a good lawyer. He put all the uh, things to keep his position safe. And as I said, the Spanish teams uh, strongly support him. So it's not going to be easy. And I've heard that all these um, opposition teams who were already trying to decide uh, who will be the next CEO they are they're not so active in in these talks so uh, I, I mean I have nothing against Jordi my only wish that Euroleague would improve they would go uh, forward with Jordi or not for me there is no difference so that's my only wish that if Jordi is staying if he's doing this and he's not going anywhere at least he ha- at least he has a plan how to improve the tournament starting from the different format, uh, helping the teams uh, uh, to, to make the EuroLeague product more profitable. But let's not forget that EuroLeague is is like a, like an institution that consists of these A-licensed yeah. clubs, and they actually vote on everything. And That's a very important point, yeah, so of course. If there are disagreements... But, they, but yeah, there are already some disagreements. Mm. You can remember the voting uh, for uh, Jordi's dismissal, and I, I, if I remember well, it was... Six against five, very, very close uh, vote. And some teams were changing their vote in the last minute because they didn't they didn't see the clear alternative plan. Okay, Jordi is out, what's next? Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe Jordi Bertomeu is not the best leader, but at least he made EuroLeague like stable. Um, and you always have to be careful what you wish for because there's mm-hmm. only one letter between Bertomeu and Bartomeu. <laughs> Get it? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, right. I I really don't have anything to add about this one because I don't have, like, any inside info or or stuff. But um, I'm not really that interested in what happens in the offices, to be honest. Uh, Yeah, my another prediction is, is again, related to the standings. And my prediction for this year is that Barcelona will not be the winners of the regular season. Okay. They will not be the top seed. Because Real... Because Real Madrid, because Barcelona, 
I think they were winning too many games with all the problems that they had. And mm-hmm. right now, when I saw them lose against Basconia, it made sense that they finally lost and had a bad game. Even the game against Unix, they should have lost that yeah, game, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. The quality is decreasing, and yeah. it, it's reasonable because they have re- really bad injury problems. And it will take some time for all these players to get back. And for Madrid, they had their COVID cases. The players are, are, are getting back. Um Madrid have the squad to play double or even triple game weeks. Mm-hmm. It's not a problem for Pablo Lasso to have more double game weeks in the second part of the season. It's not a problem for Real Madrid when everyone's healthy to play a couple of games in 48 hours. They have the players to do that. Uh, Barcelona, right now, let's say Corey Higgins came back after his injury, but he just didn't look himself. He will need some time. Nicolaitis, when he gets back, he will need some more time. Uh, they were riding on Jokobaitis and Laprovitola's backs, and they were amazing. But how long can it last? And Nikola Mirotic, of course, is the number one player in the EuroLeague. But for me, Real Madrid, with their depth, with the roster and their system, they're winning this battle. I think they're going to be number one seed in the Spanish ACB League and in the EuroLeague. You Barcelona, know, I would see them in, in number two. You know where's the problem? That's if you win the regular season, nothing changed. I oh mean, no, it no, no, no! Of course, meaning. I'm not. I'm not saying that. If if if, if we had playoff series, uh, finals of five games, best of five, it would matter a lot. So in the Spanish Barca. league, it matters. Yes, because yes, yes. you get the home court but advantage now for I the finals. I can clearly see Shara's resting his main players in the end of the regular season. Uh, Pablo Lasso will do it uh, as well, but he just have a longer bench, deeper roster uh, to win all these games with his second or third lineup. So, yeah, that's an issue for the Euro basketball and another idea for improving the format. It's a great point because let's remember our previous EuroLeague champions. Like when Fenerbahce won with Jelko, they were fifth mm-hmm. in the regular season. When Real Madrid last won with Pablo Lasso and Luka Doncic, they were fifth. In both scenarios, they were facing Panathinaikos Athens without a home court advantage. They won. They went to the Final Four. They won the title. Number one seed really does not give you much. Actually, there's not much difference between one, two, three, four. As long as you have home court for the quarterfinals and you cannot choose the opponent, you never know what you're going to get. We saw last year Barca were number one, but they had the most difficult series against Zenit. Mm. So yeah, it's it's not a big deal. I I agree on that one. I'm just saying that Real Madrid have the ability to, yeah, cru- to cruise past the regular and to season. To be the best team of the regular yeah, season. Yeah, let's call that, it that that's way. my point. Because Barca, it's amazing. They finished their first part uh, of the season with mm. 15 wins and only two losses, setting a record, I believe. In, yeah, they already overachieved in, in this format. But I think they're gonna drop a little bit, and Real Madrid is there, almost. The same result they have actually fourteen and three, and the El Clasico is gonna be in Madrid uh, in the second part of the regular season. So they're gonna go for their revenge when they lost in Palau. It's just my prediction. I'm not saying it changes the big picture. It's just a p- simple prediction. Wow, the potential possibility to have a finals here is best of five and Real playing against Barca in the early finals. Wow. That would be an amazing event. And, okay, I understand the idea that a lot of people from different countries come to the Final Four, but you really think that uh, some Forgan fans wouldn't come to, to Barca or Real to enjoy their weekend, to enjoy their 
time off and to watch the best uh, quality basketball in Europe? I was always saying that uh, I'm in favor of playoff series instead of the final four. I don't like the final four format, but um, I also understand that maybe it's a product that is easier to sell. Mm. Final four, this weekend of EuroLeague basketball, it's easier to sell to foreign markets maybe, I don't know. Uh, But also... Quite nostalgically, I remember the Bologna Tau Keramica series, right? Mm-hmm. Wow, good times. I was a I was a little kid, almost a teenager. I was already in love with basketball, and to me, that series was something r- really special. Mm-hmm. I would like to see that right now in the modern Euroleague, but uh, we heard a lot of times from Jordi yeah. Bertomeu that he's not actually considering it. Maybe with another guy on the top, we would see some uh, changes over there. Uh, My last prediction, it's also a pretty safe one, but I just uh, predict that we will have some massive summer moves in the free agency. You already uh, mentioned some of them. I can clearly see Shane Larkin uh, leaving uh, FS. I would love to see him in Fenerbahce, actually. That would be a hell of a game changer in, in Turkish markets. I can see if, especially if FS will disappoint, I can see Vasilimitic uh, finally going to the NBA. Will Clyburn is on an expiring contract. I wonder what Fenerbahce will do with Jan Veseler and Nando De Colo. Mario, Hezonia, Unix, always a big drama in summer. Uh, Barcelona is pretty safe with Mirotic, Kalates, uh, Higgins on a long-term contracts, but Brandon Davis is on an expiring contract. A lot of changes in Milan, uh, starting from Delaney, Rodriguez, uh, Kyle Hines, other veterans uh, out of contracts. Uh, CSKA will have to find somebody instead of Bill Kleiber, or they will continue with him. And uh, for sure, they will have uh, to find another start for the backcourt. And especially Hackett is turning uh, 35 this year, and he's on an expiring contract as well. So a lot of interesting changes might uh, come this summer, which also might uh, change the picture of the EuroLeague, which I actually like. We need some change, I think. I would love to see more changes, actually. But uh, I saw, you know, Maccabi, they extended Wilbekin for three years. Uh, I actually thought that uh, that would be a good question. What would Barca do with Nick uh, Kalaitis if his contract was expiring this summer, for example? Mm. Kubaitis, of course, he's not ready yet to change him at a full speed, but for the next summer, I mean, the summer 2023, maybe... I would extend Nick, but Barcelona, they're doing this... But as a backup, uh, probably, no? Barca are doing these like economical signings at the moment uh, the last preseason they signed guys like Hayes like La Provitola, they signed mm-hmm. they were signing role players for a lot less money and if the financial situation is difficult of course it it's unreasonable for you to re-sign star players on big contracts I don't think that Nicolaitis is irreplaceable but if it is possible I would really keep him mm. I mean Yes, La Provitola and Jokubaitis, uh, they're showing some good stuff, but still, playoffs, final four, the finals in the ACB League against Real Madrid, big players are needed in these uh, mm-hmm. games, and Nicolaitis is one of the biggest players in the in, in Europe. So, 
I would keep him if possible. Uh, okay, yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting point, actually, that uh, the off-season market could be interesting to follow uh, this summer in 2022. My last question for you about 2022 would be about these EuroCup teams that are knocking on the EuroLeague doors. Ah. Um, Partizan Belgrade, will mm. they be in EuroLeague in 2022? <laughs> I hope so, but the way they play at the moment... I'm not a fan. Of course, uh, when Jelko is on the board, you just have to trust the process. It's totally, it's a completely new team, completely new project, and they f- will for sure will be better when the playoffs will come. But it's not going to be as easy as everybody thought. As I said, there are concerns over the game. There are concerns over the format of the Euro Cup, yeah. and a lot of uh, unpredictable things uh, can happen. I just hope that uh, we will have two Euro Cup teams. So first of Bologna. Uh, I would love to have Virtus Bologna and Partizan in the Euroleague next year, but as I this said, this year, I mean, like yeah, twenty twenty. Oh yeah, it's already predictions for twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, right. But there are ma- many dangerous teams. So, Valencia, so Unix Kazan, if they make the playoffs, they can take one of these spots. Yeah. So right now, if you're in charge of Virtus or or Partizan, you're watching Euroleague games and you're always cheering against Unix. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely <laughs> crazy. Okay, right, so I think that's it. That's it. That This part was shorter one because we will try to be a little bit shorter yeah. than before. I mean, we can explain this uh, a little bit quickly. Just like in Lithuania, we have the Lithuanian podcast. The Lithuanian audience really got used to listening for two hours. They're to, crazy to, about To us talking about basketball. Podcasts. But then we did a little bit of research that actually English or American podcasts, they're always about one hour's length and two hours is just too much. So we're gonna try to be a little a little less talkative. Yeah, but <laughs> it was it was short, but it was good. And the next week uh, we're coming back with Q and A session. Yeah. Uh we will ask you well, actually you can put your comments below this video to make some questions. We'll also launch it on Twitter. Podcast. Yeah. Everywhere where it's possible. Basket yeah. news, your profile, my profile. So follow Ritis Vishnauskas on Twitter, follow Donatos Urbanas on Twitter, and of course follow uh, our podcast on basketnews.com and Basket News YouTube channel. Thanks a lot and uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. See you next time.